0: This morning's scripture comes from Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude, as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever each one, whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God.
1: Theologically loaded. Um, there's a lot of uh, thank you, Mark. Yeah, um, right. yeah that's <laughs> that's great. Um, it is theologically loaded, um, and a lot of a lot of things here that elude us. So, thinking back to last week, um, we are in the. What is affectionately known as Mark told us last week the hush duffel, which is Martin Luther's word for like house codes. So we're in the house codes. Um and, and the reason I, I'm um inviting us into discussion is because um it, what what reads to us as um very simple plain commands that seem to be universally true and just apply directly to us. So we you, we can see these they're like clear commands. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Slaves, obey your human masters. They seem to translate one-to-one as we read them, but I think we would be remiss in understanding these teachings as direct teachings to us more. Let's look at them in the way of an illustration. They're highly, highly, highly um, tied to their context, specifically in which they were given. Um, But before we do that, that's a preface for kind of where we're going and why we're doing this the way we're doing. But the reason I gave you pens is because before we get started, I want us to contemplate a couple um, questions. And I want us to write down the answers to these questions. There's tons of free space just in the margins even. Um, But the first question is, what are our life circumstances? So think about the titles that you wear. Um these could be things like um husband, um father, wife, mother, coworker, child, um sibling, um those types of things. So just take a little bit and write the various things. They're really maybe not one or two is enough, but but really kind of think about all the spheres of life in which we occupy maybe a role, um, and how, um, how those things, how we are in those various roles in our life. The second question, after we've kind of written down um, a couple of our, or several of our various kind of titles, our life circumstances, the, the spheres of influence we find ourselves in, how do we perceive them? Each one is different. Do we perceive them positively or negatively? Some, maybe parenthood is beautiful, but it can also be burdensome. So how do we imagine that? Same goes for our human relationships. I also want you to think about in this as well, how, are the, how do the power dynamics play themselves out? So if you are an employee, you likely have a boss. You likely have superiors. If you are a spouse, you likely see yourself um, somewhat the same um, level. Do you, in any of those spheres, do you have power over any of those individuals within that social setting? So it could be your children. could be other coworkers. um, could be just friends. Maybe there is a dynamic there in which um, there is just kind of an in, indifferential. It could be the same, but I want to think through each one of those. Um, what are How do we view them? How do we perceive them, and how are we situated within them, positively, negatively, neutral, um, sort of how we sort ourselves out in those types of hierarchies and how they affect us. Um. So uh, as we think about how we view those things just to our own. Um, Let me ask a more broad question, maybe not as specifically, maybe it's contemplatory, you just think about it. Um, You could write down the answer for each one of these if you have one immediately. Um, But this question is, as Christians, as followers of Christ, as disciples, how does that, being in a relationship with Jesus, affect or influence how we participate in those circumstances so how do we interact how does being a christian inform those various circumstances and likely different in different areas so um it's not like oh i'm i view all things as great because I have jesus you know it's like the that affects us differently (laughs) And also, I know this is true for me, it could likely have no effect functionally um, in how we are participating. Hopefully um, we see with new eyes by the end of this, but there could be an area of your life you're like, Man, Christ is the furthest thing from my mind when I am in this particular sphere. Again, that's a little bit more contemplatory, more abstract um idea. Um so as another preface, um this is discussion based. So um would anybody care to share just a couple? I want I want to invite a dialogue between us. Um I'll talk talk a lot in this time, um just about context and stuff like that is here in just a couple moments. But anybody care to maybe share one or two i just want open open our mouths so that it's not just me talking at you it's us talking with one another i mean it could just be as simple as anything mark what about you i'm gonna call on you i'll put you on the spot Um, just pick one and and Yeah. And I think if we were to go around, I'm not going to pick on any more. I'll also try to keep us generally brief in our discussion. Um, but I bet if we were to look at everybody's things, everyone is nuanced. Everybody has, there's going to be vast differences between what's on Natalie's page and maybe say, Woody, what's on your page and what's on my page and what's on Mark's page. Or uh, you can imagine, and you you can, you can throw that, Cast that outward to the people in the neighborhood, all the various people. So we see how we are just all so different. We have all these different circumstances, um, and we interact differently within those things. So it's very diverse. It's very nuanced to ourselves. How we participate with Christ is going to be very individual. Um, in in many sense, it's universal in that there's way like there is a way in which we participate with Christ, but it's also going to be highly, highly individual. So I want us to that to be kind of the frame at which we come at this text. And so the reason we're talking about life circumstances is because that's exactly what Paul is doing here in the Hashtafel. Um We've come out of just like, you know, uh, the first part of Ephesians is just theology, theology, theology. Is what it seems like. There's very practical stuff. But this is what people would call the practical outworking. Like last week we talked about um, wives and husbands, and we're talking about this week, Children and parents, and slaves and masters, highly, highly, highly um, kind of geared at the spheres of our life. Um, So let's see, now that we've kind of thought deeply about our spheres of life, let's time travel back 2,000 years. And the reason I say this, I've prefaced this as well, is this is highly, highly specific to their situation and how audience in which Paul was writing to would have understand, understood parenthood, would have understood the institution of slavery, mastership is just worlds away basically from us today. And so let's see what Paul has to say about the specific situations in which his people were living and how Christ affected that. So let's look at our first chunk of text um, together. Uh, And I'm going to try not to say any like seminary specific words. So if I say words, that are just like, what the crap does that mean? Like, (laughs) just like, please be like, define, (laughs) please. Um, But yeah, let's read those first uh, four verses together. And then we'll dive into just kind of some context and see what Paul is doing here. Verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may have long life in the land. Four, fathers, verse four, um, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So the first thing that we want to talk about, kind of painting the picture, the first century context for this is, these types of codes were very, very common for um, philosophers to write and so what Paul is doing is not something not out of the norm is like okay this is your ethic of living. how does that play itself out practically And the fact I'm going to highlight this now the fact that Paul is specifically calling out his children and the parent parental relationship is Highly significant compared to um, the world around him. You'll notice in the ancient world, much like our congregations today, if the children weren't downstairs, children in the worshiping context would have made up about 40% of the kids in the room. And so they would have participated in the liturgy, participated in worship. So this is a huge, huge um, population of the room. And another thing that um, is curious, or not curious, but something that is lost on us is that children, like I said, are being, by being addressed, are being placed in a position of, they're being elevated. I want to say a position of privilege, but Paul is elevating them to a status that they would not have otherwise had by addressing them, um, by seeing them in this particular way. To that point, children that particip- participated in worship would have been both free children, children of free people, and slave children. It probably would have been like a 50-50 mix. And so we think about children, and some extent in the Roman world, were a marginalized group of people. They were a people, um, or I say a people, the, the, a group that were just not recognized. One of the um, first century um, roman writers said that children were basically not people a well in the way that slaves were to seen to have more liberty than children did so a a father a head of household would have been likely stricter would have been more um oppressive but just been more strict they loved their children but they had absolutely zero rights a slave would have had more rights than children and so what we see here is that paul is highly affected by his heavenly Vision, Right. We know that Paul is looking heavenward always where there is no more Jew or Gentile. There is no male or female. There is no slave or free Scythian barbarian. All are equal in Christ. And so in a context in which children would have been thrown by the, the wayside. Paul is actually elevating them to a position of privilege, a key seat at the table. They would have made up 40% of the room. There would have been children everywhere. And so what's significant is that Paul is saying, listen, parents, far more than he's saying, children, obey your parents. That's good and well. But I think what it's telling is verse 4, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So what Paul subtly Would have been doing, affected by Christ in a world where children were marginalized, um, not seen as significant at all, is raising them up to significance. He's saying, instead of fathers, do whatever you want with your children because they are wholly insignificant. No. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. He's taking a marginalized group of people, and he is elevating them to a a position of status. They have status in the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, do not mistreat one another. Do not mistreat your children, but rather teach them in the ways of the Lord. Make sure that they feel that their seat in the kingdom at the table of heaven is felt. That they are equally a part of this, just as you are. Y'all are one and the same in the kingdom of heaven. So that's children. We don't have to kind of do a lot of hurdles there. Um, first off, any questions, any kind of dialogue? or, Yeah, totally. Woody. Woody.
0: Sure, <laughs> <laughs> I would much rather see this flipped upside down and start. <laughs> <laughs> don't stir up. Sir, you're in your children and then come back to say, children, because mm-hmm. there's a premise of goodness. As totally. I know a lot of parents that are
1: just not good parents. Totally. They're not, they're not righteous, they're mm-hmm. evil they, they people. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't feel comfortable with the child following that, that person's guidance. Totally. Sure. Yeah. So we'll circle back to, I think something that you're hitting <laughs> on. I will say the reason it's written that way is Paul is following the conventions of how these types of things would have been written. And so the fact that, so it, it reads, it's it's um it's like if you were to read the Declaration of Independence um, and if you're a Brit, I, this, I'm remembering this from history class. If you're like, A British person like there's just enough difference in the language of the Declaration of Independence from words that British people would have said and ideas that they would have held to make them subversive so it sounds like something that you're feel like you're gonna be affirmed in so when you when you lead in on children obey your parents as it is right all the first century parents would have been like yes they should do whatever I say they have no rights whatsoever and then But don't anger them, bring them up in the training of the Lord. That's the subtle subversiveness. And so that's the nuance I'm trying to bring out as far as the structure. Um, However, we'll see what Paul is doing is taking and I'll say this point. So this is all in the context of the church, the believing, um, and there would have been slave and free children. And so the idea was, the practice was, if you were didn't have parents, um, you had a particular name, I can't, it was a Latin name, I can't remember, but the idea is that the church would then be your parent. And so this is less focused, it's more corporate focused. So in, an, in a situation where a person would have been... Um, negatively treating their parents and you know you would have had this church body that would have come up and fought for your justice as as a child um having reading this and fought for your kind of training so um we'll get back to circling maybe that blind faith um like you mentioned um I'll couch it in a little bit different terms um towards the end um sure totally Totally, yes. Oh, it's interesting. You saying that would you think of so last week Paul addressed wives and then husbands. He addresses children and then fathers, he addresses slaves and then masters. Mm-hmm. He always addresses the misadrant. The subordinate first, yeah. And what you're hitting on is that it's very severe. We to like not being in this world. Like this is the what they slept in, what they breathed, the air that they breathed, the water that they swam in. And so for us, this is very subtle, but would have been, I promise you, very forthright subversion like very just kind of like in your face um especially when contrasted to the other stuff that would looked just like this but was so like the the I'm speaking of roman um philosophers thinkers um greek philosophers and thinkers having similar type of household codes um and laws just like this they would have been. They would have known those. Just that would have like the collective knowledge would have been those types of things. And so when Paul's doing, it, he's very for us very subtly subversive. But what he's doing is taking a marginalized group like children and giving them protection. You know, in the the body um, and by um, by calling out parents that wouldn't otherwise that would domineer over that chil- their children that would. Um bring them in situations that, that that compromise them especially in their relationship to God I think is maybe what um paul is 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 doing here so um canaan you're gonna say something. mm
0: hmm Mm-hmm.
1: Which is I think really dangerous, right? Totally, of course. It's probably why Paul talks to the people in their roles are mm-hmm. the most authoritative roles that they have yeah like Yeah. It's like actually this is the most dangerous kind of place you can be mm-hmm. if you're not submitting to, to Jesus. Totally. being a follower of the man's humility. Mm-hmm. Like, That's right. Totally. And we'll see that even more so as we move on in this next text. Um, so that was children and husbands. So what we've seen, the pattern that Paul is doing here is he is taking a marginalized group, of, a group that would not have a voice, and he is giving them the voice that Christ would have for them. That is equality. That is that every single person is... Redeemed being that they are bought by God. God paid for them with their blood. They are justified being that God made them right. He took their sins away, and they have right standing before the Father. And they are reconciled. They are given a new family. They are given this church family. And so, it, yeah, taking that group that wouldn't have a voice and giving them the voice that Christ would have for them, giving them more positions of um, of authority and just right Treatment, kingdom treatment we can think about, um, and again, we'll see as we get into this. We wish it would be more overt, but that was two thousand years ago. We have two thousand years of 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 changing and understanding and developing in some ways we're more backwards and in some ways we're way ahead um, but 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 that's that's what we want to take away. people who are marginalized, given a voice, given a seat at the table, the voice that Christ would have for them. Um, so with that in mind, um, that's a good preface for where we're headed. Let's read five through nine. Slaves obey your masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ do God's will from your heart serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So, as I did before, let me preface with a lot of, or some context for slavery. So, Slavery. (laughs) We have a lot, a lot, a lot of baggage around this term, and rightfully so. Um, It is something that is... Maybe gone from our everyday life in an overt kind of way, but is something that I think we can each recognize has had even with the the, the demolition of the institution, has affected and, and just deep, deep, deep ripples within our particular society. So all that to say, there's a lot of sla- or a lot of baggage with slavery. And it has been popular for people and teachers of the New Testament. To understand the Roman slave system as far less demeaning, far less intense um, than be our, I think of, uh, oh, seven years a slave is the move that comes to mind. When I think of slavery, if y'all have y'all seen that? Seven years, yeah. Uh, is it what, 12 years, 12 years a slave, that's it, 12 years a slave. Um, that's what comes to mind, um, just all those pictures of the eighteen, seventeen, and 1800s, like, antebellum South, like, that is what we think. And so, in essence, people have tried to make light of the institution of slavery in the Roman world. And the reality is, and we carry that baggage because we we were projecting our thing, they're actually far, far fewer differences wait yeah there's far fewer differences um basically the only thing in the first century that was a little different from our what we think of as slavery is there in essence wasn't racism based on the color of your skin necessarily um it was maybe racism as far as which where you came from in, like, Asia Minor and, like, Southern Europe. We think of Italy, Greece, um, Asia Minor, like, Turkey, all these different kind of places, Gaul, even, like, uh, Spain and stuff over here. Inverse for y'all, but um, especially for me. Slavery was intense. It was in the Roman world, social capital was your capital. That's what you had, it was honor, shame, social capital is what mattered. And as a slave, people will say that, oh, well, in the Roman world, you could have bought your freedom, not bought your freedom, but worked off your freedom, like a bond servant, like say, I owe you 10 years worth of work. But the reality was, and, and when you did that, you would join a class of people known as freed people. You were never truly free. You were freed people. And so I'm saying all this to say that slavery in the Roman world, first century that Paul is talking about, was terrible. It was, you could use all the adjectives we used to describe our antebellum, Southern kind of race-based slavery here in the United States and across the the colonial countries. Um, many of the same adjectives could have been used. Um At face value, it appears less severe because you could work off your freedom, but the reality is that is not founded in truth whatsoever. Um, Another thing that we wish we would have is Paul's wholesale denial of the institution of slavery, right? Being where we're at socially in our understanding, we want to project back onto Paul. Paul, how could you not, how could you even... Say that this was even a viable option. Well, the truth is, just in though we want that, and though if Paul in today's day would have been screaming from the mountaintops, slavery, or in the 1860s, let's say, if he was, if Paul was an apostle in the 1860s, would have been screaming from the mountaintops, slavery is wrong, stop this. It would have been overt, it would have been significant, it would have been just as clear as day. But the truth is, in Paul's day, Paul has, from what we know, the most progressive ethic on slavery of any, 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 anybody in the first century world, and it is not even close. So what I want us to think about before we get into this is that Paul is being insanely insanely subversive to his culture and what a a way to think about it is that paul our trajectory is heavenward if we're thinking in terms of slavery on that same trajectory from humanity to heaven we may be up here, but Paul is setting us on that trajectory. He is being so, so subversive and giving so much right that was just not there um, for slaves and masters. So all I have to say, that's a lot of baggage. What does Paul say, though, about slaves and masters? The fact that he addresses slaves first, just as we have noted, significant, significant. But he says, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Let's jump back down to verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their masters and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. And so just like we have in the account of the children, Paul is taking an incredibly marginalized group of individuals, and he is telling the masters, you are the same. You are the same. That would have never, ever, ever been heard anywhere else. You have a seat at the table, slaves. And masters, you are equals with those whom you own. You are equals with them. That is how Christ sees you. That is heaven-focused. And that is what Paul is trying to communicate here. Um, you are equals. Um, and that, I mean, it, it again, where we sit, we cannot overstate how overtly subversive that was. I know subversive, those are kind of paradoxical or, or antinomial at, at some level, but Paul is giving privilege to a marginalized um, group of people and giving them the voice that Christ would have for them. Paul is giving them the voice that Christ would have for them, and that is a seat at their heavenly table, equality in worship, equality in what truly matters. Both your master and theirs is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is earth shattering in the first century world and that's what paul is doing here um any particular comments on this um, before we'll move to maybe how each individual person um, is to play this out again a lot of the same rhythms a lot of the same um nuance but but from a different perspective yeah yeah, yeah and i'll I, I may say i don't know so yeah totally yeah. yeah from my understanding again I am a punt I can give you a great resource um, but yes um, maybe not to the extent so in some ways there is slavery as we think about it there is ownership And there is what was known as bond servitude. Um, Say, like, if you, um, there were both. So slaves and slave trade, like we understand it, ownership, had been happening for, I mean, thousands of years at that point. Uh, You know, all the people that populated. um, It was just, I mean, think about um, uh, Egypt. Um, How did they build their How do they build their um, pyramids and stuff like that? And so this the institution of ownership based slavery has been going on. I think what also is happening is that idea of bond servitude, that if you were a landowner and you were indebted to or not a landowner, but a a worker, a a field worker and say you did something incredibly egregious to the man who owned the land. Um, instead of getting paid, maybe you would sell you and your family into bond servitude. You would come and live in that house, but you would work under this servitude. You would have the status of a slave, one who is owned, um, but it was a little bit more economic-based as far as like paying off a debt. And so you have that facet of it as well. Totally. You were never, you were never, you you could never go back to the status you were socially and truly social capital. It, we don't have a good, good way to do it. I think maybe we're coming into that as a culture a little bit more with like cancel culture. And so we're starting to understand a little bit more what honor and shame culture is than we have maybe in the past a little bit, um, just in our recent history. Um, but that's the type of thing you can never, you can never ascend to the the level that you could before. Um, so I think it's a both and um, deal there. Um, so, we see what Paul is doing here and this cannot be overstated. Paul is elevating marginalized community and that don't have a voice that cannot speak for themselves and he is giving them the voice, the privilege that Christ would have for them and that is equality. However, there are negative circumstances. We are still parents and children. We do, we are still in some ways servants and masters. In this first century world, there were, Paul wasn't going to take down the institution of slavery in a day. What he was going to do is set them on a heavenly trajectory and elevate them in the standing of Christ so that they would become, start to become the people who they would ultimately become. Um, But there are still. Circumstances that we find negatively affect us. We are still oppressed. People still are oppressed. We still face grief and loss. We still face persecution. Um, I mean, although maybe we don't as much here overtly in the U.S., but all across the world, people face persecution, death every single day in the name of Jesus. And so. This is the idea of theodicy, um, um, evil in the world and what God is doing about it. The fact is there is still evil in the world. There is still power structures in the world. And what does Paul have to say about that? He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Fathers, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive back from the Lord. Masters, treat your slaves the same way. Because you share the same master, and there is no favoritism with him. And so what is Paul saying in the midst of power circumstances, he's saying, you are elevated. I am giving you a seat at the table. You are receiving now in part the benefits of your inheritance with Christ, being baptized with him, being his follower. But in the midst of difficult circumstances, obey as you would to the Lord. Because the truth is, The hope in the glory of Christ, our future glory, our future full redemption, our full justification, our full reconciliation. Christ fundamentally influences how we live our lives now. We always live with that future glory. Whatever pains that we face in life, whatever power structures that we face in life, persevere Hold on, hold fast. Obey as you would to the Lord, because this life is fleeting. But eternal life with Christ is so much worth it. And that is the fundamental instruction. Obey as you would to the Lord. Persevere and how does Christ fulfill that for us? This is very us-based, but how does Christ do that? Well, Christ came, descended, was shamed in some sense, coming into humanity, and he was obedient to the Lord even to death. He is the ultimate example for us that when evil is against us, we serve as to the Lord because what was Christ? Unto death, obedient. And what was he after death? Glorified, resurrected, ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father. And our reality as people baptized with him is that is our reality as well. We have a seat at the table. We have a place before the throne. We have eternal communion. And so that is how Christ fulfills that for us. He gave us the example of how to obey, how to persevere and hold fast in difficult circumstances. So then, with that in view, how do we live now affected by this truth? This is a, a thing, maybe you can write down, uh, maybe some things that you've been hearing. So, in light of our present circumstances, how does Paul giving a voice to the marginalized, giving them a position of authority, a position of honor at the table, and as well the command to persevere amidst difficult circumstances, how does that affect our different spheres? I will tell you this, it affects us all differently in the same way that our individual papers look different from one another. Our spheres look different from one another. I think in Christ, we are called to do different things. I think we can see from this this text, if you're in a position of power, what are you to do? Fight. Fight for those who don't have a voice. If it's your children that have horrible, horrible parents, you fight that they would have honor. You come alongside them. Maybe it's mentoring, stuff like that. I'm using that example just because you brought it up, Woody. Um, If there are people who don't have a voice, we fight for them for justice, that they would feel the honor that God made them with, because we are all the same. If you are, and this is a lot harder for people in situations of oppression, and it's a lot harder pill for, to swallow, and it's a, it's a both-and, in the same way that we fight for those who are oppressed, God tells us to persevere, to hold fast to Jesus in the midst of difficult situations. But more than anything, we are to treat one another with the honor it deserved, And I think that transcends a lot of our probably present situations is in my husbandry. Am I honoring my spouse? In my parenthood, am I giving my children the honor that they deserve? Am I dishonoring them? In my work life, am I giving the people who I am they're superior? Am I giving them the space that they need to be creative, to be individual, to feel like they have a voice and that they matter to me? And that transcends our work um, balance. Am I being, am I working as if for Christ and not for the outside look? Um, Am I being obedient to serve in that way? And so again, we see that this influences us And we're affected by this in different ways. But I think truly the kingdom of God is about honoring all people and bringing all people to their status as children of God made in the image. And so for us as we step out into this world how does that truth affect how we treat one another whether we're on the same social level? How does it affect how we treat those who are lower than us and how does that affect us as we look to and set an example maybe even for those who are higher than us um, of how to serve for Christ. Faithfulness is key. Um, Thank you for your discussion and the words and this was a lot of fun. Um, But I think that is what Paul is calling us towards. Um, and I think we can begin to see how that plays itself out in our individual circumstances. Um, that being said, let me uh, let me pray for us as we transition into the next um, part of our liturgy. Um, Lord Christ, um, we praise you for God being one who gives us the value that we that you created us for. God, you cherish us. You value us as human beings as individuals but also as a community lord a community called out for you so lord i pray that you convict us to see how we play into the systems that be god i pray that you would make us better and that ultimately we serve you and god as you transform us as we take each step with you god that you would make us more and more holy and more and more like you. And being like you means honoring others and giving others their seat at the table, Lord. So we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen.